Welcome to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb, helping you find purpose and joy in your life and relationships. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. Take your Bibles as we start this morning and turn, if you will, to the text we've been using for each of the four messages, Romans chapter 7. And this message concludes our four-part series on freedom. We thought about freedom, what it isn't, and talked about what it means to be aroused by the law, a phrase Paul uses in Romans chapter 7. If you try hard to live the Christian life, you'll fail. And in your failure and discouragement, likely you'll be feeling such pressure internally that you'll be willing to do whatever it takes to relieve the pressure, including sin. Freedom, what it isn't, aroused by the law by trying hard to do what's right. We then talked about freedom, what it is, and made much of the teaching that Paul develops in Romans 7 and many other passages as well, where he says that we're dead to the law. No longer. Dead to the law was the second message on freedom, what it is, and said there that because we're new covenant people, we're people who have been given a new heart, therefore it's right for us not to live according to external standards where we bow before what ought to be and make it our effort to do all that we ought, but rather we're free now to live in a very different way. We're free to follow our hearts, provided we love God. Freedom, what it is. Follow your heart, provided you love God. We then talked about freedom, how to enjoy it, and discussed the phrase, released from the law, and talked there about what it means to have a pure steer. Those who were here last week will recall that phrase, that you're free to move in any direction you want, but because you love the Lord, you've chosen to have your ear pierced as a symbol of the fact that you want to live in bondage to relationship with him, and therefore you choose to do what's right. Today I want to talk about what I consider to be perhaps the most important of the four, of the four topics. How are we supposed to use the freedom that we have? Freedom, how to use it. That's our topic today. And look at Romans 7 as we start. Romans chapter 7. In verse 4, Paul says this, My brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order, as a purpose to our freedom, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Because when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, and here's the phrase I want to pick on today. We have been released from the law for a purpose, freedom, how to use it, in order that we might serve in the new way of the Spirit. Notice Paul sets up a, a contrast. Free people serve in the new way of the Spirit versus serving in the old way of the written code. It's occurred to me that if you grasp what I'm talking about in this series of messages, and some of you are, and I'm sure some of you are not, but if you grasp what I'm talking about in terms of freedom, what I believe Paul is talking about, let me tell you what's going to happen when you grasp the reality of your freedom in Christ. The very first thing that's going to happen is you're going to sense a certain internal liberation. That's going to feel like the pressure to do right is gone. You're no longer going to feel that deep sense of pressure to be what you ought to be. The Christian who understands freedom feels no pressure to shape up, feels no pressure to conform to biblical standards, 
feels no pressure when the preacher says, are you doing this? And you know you're not. The Christian understands freedom is not feeling any pressure. I ought to be spending more time in Scripture. What's the matter with me? I ought to be witnessing more. What's the matter with me? When you understand freedom in Christ, there really is, and I've experienced this, and some of you have as well, there really is a, a very immediate and quick and rich sense of relief, even to the point of exhilaration. I said to you a couple of weeks ago that for the first time, in a way that I think I'm aware of, I think I can relate to Peter's words when he talks about inexpressible joy. When you understand the gospel, there really is the relief of pressure that is felt as inexpressible joy. But let me tell you what happens next. If you understand freedom, the first thing you're going to feel is relief, but then you're going to feel a certain slump. How do you do with motivation? How do you do with a motivation to do what's right? A motivation to go out and make a difference in your world, a motivation to live for the Lord. Initially, when you experience freedom, there's going to be a rich sense of exhilaration, a rich sense of joy, followed, I believe, by a real slump, a real lack of energy, an internal sense of, I don't really have any energy left to do much of anything. I believe that that loss of energy, that loss of motivation, I'll be explaining this as time goes on this morning, but that loss of energy which you and I are going to experience, that loss of motivation where we don't feel required to do anything and as a result don't feel motivated to do anything, when, you don't, when you're not required to do anything, you feel unmotivated to do anything. Does that make sense? Do you follow that? I know that years ago, Saturdays were a very bad day in our home because during the week I had a schedule to keep. I had to be at work at a certain time, I had to do this, I had to do this, I had to do this, and I was required, there were many things I had to do, but when Saturday came along and there was nothing that I had to do, I felt utterly at loose ends. Wasn't good at relaxing. I'm improving on that. But I wasn't good at relaxing when there was no standard to draw me out, and the standards were gone, I found just a slump internally. A sense of, well now what do I do? Nobody's making me do anything. And I felt just a slump. What I want to suggest to you is that that slump is a necessary beginning for what it means to serve in the new way of the Spirit. In Ephesians 4, don't turn to it, but I'll tell you about it. In Ephesians 4, in verse 16, Paul says that if the body is going to grow, if this church, Valley Springs, is going to grow, not just numerically, that included, but much more qualitatively, if we're going to become the kind of people God wants us to be, and we're going to have to learn how to approach relationships in the new way of the Spirit. And I'm not going to be able to learn how to live to serve you or you to serve me in the new way of the Spirit until I experience that motivational slump. Do I have you all confused so far? Making sense to anybody? Shouldn't yet. I will eventually. I believe that if we don't learn what it means to serve in the new way of the Spirit, if we continue living as so many of us do, to serve in the old way of the written code, then I fear for Valley Springs. A lot of you are at Valley Springs because you've not found the sense of reality. You've not found the sense of vitality which Christianity is supposed to provide. You've not found it elsewhere. And you're hoping to find that here. If we, don't learn what it, if we don't learn what it means to serve in the new way of the Spirit versus to serve in the old way of the written code, then Valley Springs is not going to amount to much. Let me make a prediction. If we function with each other 
by serving one another, trying to be what we ought to be to each other, trying to build relationships, trying to learn what it means to worship, trying to learn his word, trying to learn how to outreach into our community. If we do all these things that we're committed to doing, if we try to serve each other in the old way of the written code, which I haven't explained yet, but if we work at serving each other in the old way of the written code, let me tell you what I believe Valley Springs will look like five years from now. If we don't grasp what it means to use our freedom by serving in the new way of the Spirit, let me tell you what I think Valley Springs might look like if it goes at best five years from now. I would suspect five years from now that we'll have a facility. That's a distinct possibility. We sure hope for that. And I, I presume that five years from now, if we learn how to serve in the old way of the written code, that five years from now we'll have a facility, we'll have some good programs, we'll have Sunday school classes, we'll have a fairly good group structure, we'll have a lot of things going that will help us to feel like we're a real church. We'll have all the accoutrements of a real church. I imagine we'll have all that. A lot of churches who serve in the old way of the written code have all that. And I presume that Sunday morning and Sunday evening and group night will be a very um, positive experience for many people in our church five years from now if we serve in the old way of the written code. I would guess that many people will feel relatively comfortable in coming to church. You'll look forward to it. There'll be good music. There'll be decent preaching. You'll look forward to coming to Sunday school class. We'll have decent teachers teaching orthodox theology, good Bible study. And you'll learn a lot, but you'll be comfortable, and you'll enjoy it. But I want to suggest that what's going to happen five years from now, if we serve in the old way of the written code, is you're going to be leaving every Sunday morning with a very deep sense that something significant is absent. You're going to sense that there's a real part of your life which has never been stirred up. You're going to sense that there's a real part of your life which has never been dealt with, and you're going to know that that part of your life, which Valley Springs does not deal with, is vital to what it means to really live. I spoke last week with a man who gave me permission to tell this particular incident. He told me that when he was a youngster, his father had left the family, divorced his wife, and his mother was very ill. He was the only child. He had a mother who was ill most of the time, a dad who was absent, and he didn't feel like he belonged anywhere. There was a very deep part of his soul that was just empty, just crying for some level of involvement. And he told a small group that I'm involved with just this past week that when he was maybe 10, 11, 12 years old, a young boy, that his greatest satisfaction in life at that time would be to go to a neighbor's home in the early evening around dinner time and sit on the front steps of their porch. They wouldn't know he was there and listen to the family having dinner inside. And he would sit there for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, hoping somebody would come out and invite him in. He was a man who just felt intensely lonely. No place that he fit. When he went to his own home, there was no happy dinner table. There was no dad. There was no mom. There was no sense of a unit to which he could belong. He was a man who, in very deep ways, experienced a boy, who in very deep ways experienced loneliness. Let me suggest that that feeling is carried on to this day as an adult. Let me suggest that there were very deep parts in this man's soul, even today, that when he comes to church, feels very much like an outsider. Do you feel like an outsider to Valley Springs? Some of you do. A great many of you do, I would guess. 
And you're wondering, is there some level of joy that's available to me? Is there some level of involvement, some level of being a part of this thing? I want to be a part of something. I want to feel some sense of vitality because I know in the core of my being I'm alone. I feel dead. There is nothing way down deep inside that responds the way it's supposed to. And I'm looking forward. I'm, look, I'm looking for that kind of sense. If we don't learn what it means to serve in the new way of the Spirit, we're going to have a church that's going to invite nobody off the front porch to come into the table. We're not going to have a table to invite people to. We'll have a building and programs. We'll have good fellowship. We'll have good potluck dinners, decent preaching. But folks, we're not going to be a church that deals with life the way Christ intends us to deal with life. Do you understand that, that worship, when experienced for what it can be, is the most exciting thing you can do? Do you understand that worship when your heart is really engaged, is something which pulls more deeply from your soul than anything else in the world. Other sorts of pleasures, major purchases, certain relationships that bring joy, fun activities, nothing stirs quite so deeply as worship. But if we as a church do not learn what it means to serve in the new way of the Spirit, but rather serve in the old way of the written code, worship will never be a vital experience for us. And we'll be what so many other churches are, orthodox and lifeless. And lives will not be changed. Let's suppose, however, that we learn what it means, what Paul means when he says that with our freedom, we can serve in the new way of the Spirit. If we learn what it means to approach relationships in a very different way, if we learn what it means to involve ourselves with each other in a way which freedom in Christ and nothing else makes possible... And let me tell you what our, church is, uh, what our church will be like five years from now. If we don't learn this, I've already described what it'll be like. It'll be dead. It'll be orthodox. You'll be comfortable. But your life will not be touched deeply the way Christ intends to. But if we learn what it means to serve in the new way of the Spirit, then five years from now, I have great hopes for our church. We may have a building. I hope that'll be the same. I trust we'll have good programs, good Sunday school class, good group structure. I presume all that'll be in place. I want that. You want that. And that'll be good, but let me tell you what'll happen to our relationships. There'll be a whole lot more chaos in our church if we learn what it means to serve in the new way of the Spirit. There'll be a whole lot more disruption in our lives. There'll be a whole lot more people wrestling with problems that are so real and so difficult that they'll despair of living. That'll take place in our church five years from now if we learn what it means to serve in the new way of the Spirit. No longer are we going to be able to continue on comfortably doing what looks like our Christian thing while our deep inner parts remain untouched. There'll be conflict. There'll be problems. But in the middle of those conflict and problems, there's going to be a strong commitment to working it through. And you're going to know if our church moves the direction that I pray that it will, you're going to know that people are deeply for you in the middle of struggles which tear apart your soul. Church is no place to be comfortable. Church is a place to be profoundly disrupted. And in the middle of profound disruption to find something which counts. Shallow people in our church five years from now will become deep people. Or shallow people will have a sense that there's something here that I want and they'll stick around hoping somehow the reality of it all will reach down into their souls. Phony people 
will either come to grips with the reality of what's happening in their lives or they'll leave the church. Not that we want that. We want them to stay around and become real. But those who are playing at Christianity will say, this isn't the church for me. This is not where I want to be. It'll be a very uncomfortable place for many people. Worship will become real. Worship in our church, if we learn what it means to serve in the new way of the Spirit, worship will become the most vital experience of your life. Nothing else will measure up to it. That's not like the impossible dream. How many of you, if you had to share honestly, would say that worship is the most exciting part of your life? Man, I'll tell you, most of the time I wouldn't say that. How many folks would say that what you really want out of a church is to be so profoundly disrupted in your life that you're driven into desperation to know God and to seek Him in a way that very few others know? How many want that? Most don't. And yet, if we're honest about the fact of our lives, we all know that in some area of our lives, we feel like the little boy sitting outside the happy family, wishing we could be invited into some place where we're free to deeply enjoy things, where we can fully be ourselves, where we can laugh, where we can shout, where we can argue without worry about loss of relationship. We long to be a part of a real family, and most of us aren't. I think a great deal hangs on whether we learn how to serve in the new way of the Spirit. A great deal depends on whether we learn how to live in the new way of the Spirit. And I would suggest that if you were to line up an average group of Christians, pick 100 evangelical Christians from 100 good churches, my guess would be 95 of them are living in the old way of the written code. Maybe more. What we're talking about today is really different. What does it mean to serve in the new way of the Spirit. What does that really mean? Those are not just biblical-sounding words. It's not just rhetoric, which Paul, a couple thousand years ago, penned. He's talking about something which he wants me to grab hold of today so that when I relate to you after church today and we shake hands and talk about the whatever comes up, that there's going to be something different about the, the way we relate that reflects what it means to serve in the new way of the Spirit. What's it all about? Let me contrast these two ways of service by first talking about the old way of the law just for a few minutes. What does it mean to serve in the old way of the law? Do you agree that all of us have within us a very deeply implanted code of how we're supposed to behave? Is that true? Do you sense that? When you meet new people, what are you supposed to do? You know, smile and shake hands and do all sorts of things that your mom taught you to do when you were a little boy? There are certain things that we're supposed to do all the time. There are certain standards that kind of live like a ghost in the back of our minds, always controlling us and requiring us to be what we're supposed to be. That's how most of us live most of the time. Remember when you were a kid and you were pushed around the grocery store in the shopping cart with your mom? And you went down the cereal row? Remember that? And you saw the Fruit Loops? Or the, what was it, Count Chocula you mentioned? And as the cart was scooted by, you reached out and grabbed the Count Chocula or the Fruit Loops, pure sugar. And you put it in the cart. What did your mom do? Did your mom say to you, you really want that, don't you? <laughs> May I tell you, son, daughter, how important it is to me to know what you deeply want. Would you like a second box? Or did your mom grab the Count Chocula, 
and with a look of disgust and rebuke on her face, put it back and pick out nature's holy grain. <laughs> What'd you learn from that? Didn't you learn that the real you, whatever that is, the real you, that part which just innocently wanted the Fruit Loops, was bad. And there was a code of standards, there was a right and wrong, which you better conform to, or you're not going to make it around here. Haven't you lived with a set of standards that ends up denying the reality of what your soul wants? And when you went to Sunday school and became a Christian, didn't you learn more about the fact that what you really want isn't yours? You don't get Count Chocula. Count Chocula, staying in bed Sunday morning, you're supposed to get up and come to church. Eat your oatmeal. You get yourself to church like you're supposed to. Do you want to? Who cares? You be there. I heard a preacher some time ago, a prominent preacher, say in years he has never done what he wants, he does what he has to. That man does not understand freedom in Christ. There are standards, and you and I know that, now, we've been raised with them. And you know what's happened because of the standards. You've done one of two things. Some of you today are rebelling against those standards. You're sick and tired of all the standards to make you eat the oatmeal. You're saying, it's time I got some pleasure out of life. It's time I went ahead and got the Count Chocula, and that's what I'm going to do, the dickens with standards, and you're rebelling. You're not free. You're a slave to sin. You're not moving towards life. You're moving towards death. You aren't moving towards joy, you're moving towards misery. There are standards, and when you say, I'm sick of the standards, I don't want people to say, you can't have that, you can't have that, you've got to do this, and I rebel against the standards, and you move in life as though there was no holy God. You live like that, you want on the path to life. What most of us do, if we're good Christians, is not rebel against the standards, we accept the pressure to keep them. Folks, that's not freedom. We accept the pressure to keep those standards. Then how do you relate to people when you work at keeping standards? How do you relate to people when you work at keeping standards? When you're not understanding freedom, how do you relate to people? Is it the new way of the spirit or the old way of the written code? How many of you feel free when you're interacting with your spouse, with a friend, with your parents, how many of you feel free to move towards them with the deepest part of your being? Or how many of you feel controlled to do what needs to be done? Years ago, I was interviewing for a job in a very um, uh, small but very elite private school in Virginia. And I had dinner with the chairman of the psychology department, who was my host for the weekend. And he was a very wealthy man, a very traditional southern man, and we had dinner with myself, his wife and him, and we sat in a huge dining room with a table that was about 20 feet long for three of us. He was up at this end, he was at this end, and I was in the middle. I wasn't comfortable. She had a little bell. She would ring the bell and the maid would come out and carry the plates to, or carry the food bowls to each of us. I sat down, there was about 18 forks and I knew there was an order in which you were supposed to use them. I had no idea what the order was. You know, my version of eating is you just do it. <laughs> what was the quality of my relationship over dinner that night? Was I giving who I was? 
Ephesians 4.16 says the body grows when people give what they really have to give. Was I giving from internally who I really am? Was I letting them see me? Or was I saying there are standards here and no doubt the real me wants something which isn't good so I'll live by the standards and I'll sit there very stiff and hope I pick up the right fork. And as a result, did anybody benefit from me? That I give what I have to give. When's the last time you were encouraged by somebody? When's the last time somebody came up to you and deeply encouraged you in a way that you felt? Or is it not the case that most of our relationships were like the grieving person at the funeral where somebody comes to the funeral parlor while our loved one is lying dead? And we're grieving, and they come not because they want to, but because it's required. It's what you ought to do, pay your respects to the morning. And the person walks up to you, the grieving person, and they don't know what to do, so they want to do what's right, and what's right is to give a handshake and a hand on the shoulder, and, hey, we're really grieving for you, and we're sorry, and they say warm words, you smile back, and you've been totally untouched. When you live under the pressure to do right, you don't give from the core of your soul in a way which touches anybody. We remain entirely untouched. But there's a new way to live. There's a new way to live. The Bible says we're dead to the law. The Bible says that we're dead to the law, not meaning that we're free to say, there are no standards, do what you want, I'm tired of standards, I'm going to have all the bad cereal that I want because I'm tired of getting into standards. No, no, that's not Christianity, that's just hedonism, that's just rebellion. Christianity says that there is a law, there is a right and a wrong, but Christ kept the law perfectly for me. And when he went to the cross, he paid for all my transgressions of the law. And when I trust him as my Savior, all my sins are forgiven, and all the value of his perfection is now given to me. And God says, no longer are you required to keep the law as a means of becoming acceptable. You're dead to it, no longer trying hard to do what's right, but now responding from the deep parts of your soul to give yourself as you choose. You see, a lot of us are like marionette puppets. You know what a marionette puppet is? Those little things with strings attached and somebody up top is kind of pulling, you know. You have dinner with friends and somebody's pulling the memory of your mother when you were 10 years old, you know, eat your food properly, use your fork, put your napkin in your lap and all the right things. Those are the strings that are pulled. You meet somebody new, good to meet you, how are you? The strings are being pulled. We live by standards. We live by what we have to do all the time. Christ comes along and folks, what he does is he cuts all the strings. And what happens when the strings are cut? Well, the pressure's gone. You're no longer having to be jerked around by what you're supposed to do all the time. And you end up just exhilarated and feeling great because there's no longer a pull on you to be what you have to be. But then you realize you're just kind of in a slump. And that's where that motivational slump comes in because when you realize that you're dead to the law, what you begin to realize is that we've never asked ourselves the questions, who are we? What do we really want to do? How do I want to give myself to this person? We've never even thought of that question because we're so controlled by how to use the right fork. As opposed to what do I really want to do? You see, Christ comes, that little boy outside of the, on the front porch sitting. He says, come on in to dinner. Join the family. That little boy comes in from the porch, joins the family. And his first reaction when he joins the family of God is to wonder... What are the rules around here? What am I supposed to do? But that little boy knows that when the soup is put in front of him, what he wants to do is slurp it. 
and the Lord is sitting at the head of the table, and you kind of peek at the Lord to see if that might be okay. And because he knows everything, he looks over, and with a smile on his face that invites you to do whatever you choose to do, you take the risk of picking up your soup and slurping it. Then you look at him, scared to death, you're going to get rebuked. And he grins as the soup drips down your shirt and you have a soup mustache. And he says, you want more? And internally your response is, can this really be? You mean it's okay when I want to slurp the soup just to take it and do it? And the Lord gets a big grin and says, sure, you're free. We have no standards here. Be who you are. And then I say to myself, I love this freedom. I'd like to take my neighbor's soup. And you reach over and take that. That okay too, Lord? And his response is, you're as acceptable now after having taken your neighbor's soup as you were before you took your neighbor's soup. But you violated love, and there will be discipline. But as he disciplines, you sense such a warmth and such a love and such a pull from him to be all that he wants you to be, that your response is, I don't want to take my neighbor's soup anymore. That messes up the good things of enjoying dinner and slurping all that I have. I don't need to get my neighbor's soup. He keeps reporting it in. All that I want is there. Now, who's going to be the one that's going to affect other people more? The one who sits there with the freedom to slurp? Or the one who counts his forks and tries to figure out how he's supposed to live? Folks, to serve in the new way of the Spirit is to have the courage to speak honestly with each other, not to worry about social convention. One of the worst words in the English language is the word polite. Be polite. What that means is be hemmed in, never be free, never give who you are. Observe all the social courtesies, never be real, never say what you want to say, never involve yourself in somebody's life saying what you really want to say to them. Giving them of yourself, your own intuition, your own judgment, your own care, your own rebuke. Don't do that. Use the forks properly. First is, now go ahead and slurp. Guided only by wisdom and by love. If we learn what it means to love each other, we're going to deal with life honestly, meaningfully, and our church is going to be upset. Because we're going to say hard things to each other. But you're going to sense that I'm there when I talk to you. You're going to say, Larry's not very polite, but boy, is he real. When you come and talk to me, I'm going to say, you know, you drive me nuts sometimes, but I know you're there for me. And we're going to get mad at each other. We're going to fight in a commitment of love that's going to make us learn more of what it means to know God. Folks, we're released from law in order to serve in the new way of the Spirit. I'm going to stop with that. Not because the topic is finished, not because it's been terribly clear in all the implications of it, but I really commend you to think about what it means to be a marionette puppet whose strings have been cut. You're now lying as a heap on the floor with no requirement to be, to be proper, to be full of etiquette. Now you're free. Now you must appeal to within and say, what is really within me that I can give to somebody else? What is really within me that I can give to somebody else? Folks, that's living in the new way of the Spirit. And when you do that, then every joint is giving what it has to give, and the church grows. That's what I long for for our church. Pray with me as we finish the sermon. Father... My prayer is that these thoughts, as short as they are, as 
quick as they are, might stimulate our minds to think in, what a term, in terms of what it means to be free, that our relationships become more than plastic, that they become real. Father, you know my heart's longing and the longing of so many hearts here, the longing of each of the leadership here, and so many folks that are involved, is that we be a church where the realities of our lives are dealt with, and our depressions and our loneliness and our struggles and our tensions and our frustrations are not some things that we check at the door as we come in to hear about God's Word, but that we deal honestly with life because your Son has made it possible for us to go into the very depths of our existence and to come out victorious. Help us to face conflict. Help us to be real. Father, help us to be controlled by only one parameter, and that's the parameter of love. Help us to realize we're free from having to obey the law. We're free from having to observe the standards and figure out what we ought to do and try harder to do it. Father, we're free from having to get up early and have devotions. We're free from having to be polite. We're free from all that because your Son has made us free. We're dead to the law because of his body which in a few moments we're going to celebrate that broken body and that shed blood. Help us, Father, to realize we're free from that. But we're free not to go out and do our own thing. We're free to, to express who we really are as blood-bought Christians. We're free to be honest, governed only by the wisdom of love, a desire to serve each other in the depths of our hearts. Take these thoughts, make them real in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. To subscribe, visit LargerStory.com.